Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Aussie Toffee Podcast, of course, brought to you by Ozside Football and Hellos Media. We're back again for another episode of the podcast, and I want to first and foremost thank everyone for following the podcast on Twitter. Uh, we've had a great response to the podcast on Twitter, and I love engaging with all of you on there. So if you're here and listening from uh, the Twitter account, and thank you very much for following me on Twitter and as well as that listening to the podcast as well. Uh, today we're going to go through the match against Leeds United. Uh, we're going to preview the game against Brighton and we're going to talk about the latest transfer news. We do have a game on Wednesday morning for me, which will be like Tuesday uh, for you guys in the UK against Huddersfield Town in the Carabao Cup. Um, but I wanted to get this episode of the podcast out first so we can uh, pretty much talk about the Leeds game we'll talk about the Brighton game and then in next week's podcast we'll talk about both the Brighton game and the Huddersfield game so I thought I wanted to get this podcast out straight away so we can talk about the game against Leeds Um, and let's get into that match review Uh, so obviously Leeds United 2 Everton 2 taking a good point away from home obviously a packed Ellen Road back in the Premier League uh, after a very long time of being out of the Premier League going up and down the Football League ladder and now those fans are back in the Premier League and the atmosphere was really really great I can't I can't speak on how the atmosphere was like being in the ground but like when I was watching it on telly it was it was really really good like I I uh, sort of felt the presence of the Leeds fans and I think that as a whole we did really good to sort of um rise up to that pressure that the Leeds fans sort of brought on to us with their presence of being there. You saw last week with Arsenal how they couldn't deal with the Brentford fans and lost 2-0 there. Same sort of situation where you get a group of fans back into a ground which they haven't been in for 18 months and then as well as that, it's their first Premier League game for a very long period of time. So I think as a, as a whole, our squad did really, really well. And realistically, we should have won that game. And we'll talk about Dominic Cavalier later on. But we had chances not only with Dom, but chances in the latter periods of the game where you think we could snatch all three points here. And and yes, we were up 2-1 at a certain point in time. But honestly, I think a, a point is a really, really good result, especially leads away, which poses to be a really tough fixture for us in the past but as well as that I think we could have won the game as well let's sort of go through the game start to finish obviously we started off the game and I think we started off the game fairly well I think obviously Leeds had most of the ball and that's something that was going to happen throughout the whole game it's just the way that Leeds play and Marcelo Bielsa plays as well with that Leeds squad and possession doesn't mean everything you know what I mean like possession doesn't mean that you're going to win the game you could have 99% possession but that 1% possession the other team has they could use that to score a goal on the other end so realistically possession doesn't mean anything and in this game especially possession really didn't mean that much because while yes Leeds had all the possession it was really us that was posing the questions on the counter-attack in, in those sort of scenarios with our pace on the wings with the likes of uh, uh, Damari Gray, Richarlison, Dominic Calvillo and to a certain extent Awobi as well. Um, so so as, as a whole, if you look at the game purely in terms of stats, it doesn't really tell you the whole story when you're watching the game. And, and honestly, if I was a neutral watching that game, I would be like, what a game we're watching right here because it was end to end, back and forth, high intensity, very physical. It was a really, really good game of football to watch. It has a neutral, say, for example, if you're watching that game, you would be looking at that game like, damn, this is a really, really good game of football. And as a supporter of the game, you're thinking, damn, as an Everton fan, of course, you're looking at that game, you're like, all right, we know what leads are. They're a fit, physical team that are going to run around the pitch for 90 minutes and not get tired. So it was really, really good to see the boys for the first 
start of the game. Obviously, the fans are on their back. Everyone's excited. It was nice to see us sort of just calm the game down. And while, yes, we kept up with them in terms of pace, we also had the ability to slow the game down and play at our, and play our game, play at our pace, and not always constantly play at the pace that leads play at. Um, so all up until that first goal, uh, the first goal, which is the dominant Cavett Lewin pen, I think we played really, really well. Obviously, before that, a couple of Rafinha chances that sort of edged closer and closer into the goal. And we'll talk about his strike in the second half later, but you're looking at what Leeds did compared to what we did. And I'd say up until that penalty, it was a fairly even game. You're looking at chances on both ends of the pitch. You're looking at both midfields going to war. And it was a really, really even game up until Dominic Calvert-Lewin gets pulled down in the box. And, and, and by the way, there was no doubt in my mind that that was a penalty. And I, I was praying and hoping that that would go to VAR because it was clear and obvious to see that Liam Cooper was holding the shirt of, of, of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Sorry. And if he wasn't doing that, that was either a header in or that was a tap in for Dom. Clear and obvious. Clear and obvious penalty. And obviously, Dominic Calvert-Lewin steps up to take the pen and slots at home. Um, and it's really good to see Dom taking penalties. I thought Damari Gray might have taken it because obviously he took the penalty in the Florida Cup. I thought maybe Richarlison would want to take it. But it's nice to see that Dom said, nope, this is my pen. I want it. I'm the striker. I'm going to slot this away. And he did so. So it's really nice to see Dom taking penalties. I hope that's something that we see long, like more in in this season is Dom taking the penalties because not only is that good for his goal tally but that's good for momentum as well so obviously Dominic Cavalier was scoring in this game scoring in last game as well and if we can keep him scoring goals if he continuously scores goals um, maybe not every single week but as long as he doesn't have a patch where he scores heaps of goals and then goes uh, a couple games without scoring a goal we need him to be consistently putting the ball in the back of the net and this only helps that and him being on penalties only helps that as well so I'm really really glad that he took that penalty slotted it away really well and we're up 1-0 and you're sort of sitting there thinking we're up 1-0 what is the manager going to do to handle and hold this 1-0 lead? And it was clear and obvious to see that we weren't happy with the 1-0. Um, you look at that game and there was multiple periods within that game. Say, for example, the when we're up 1-0 or when we were up 2-1. It was clear and obvious to see that we weren't happy with just having that one goal lead and sitting back and defending. Under Carlo Ancelotti, for example, if we had that 1-0 lead, we'd be defending from minute 30 to minute 90 under Carlo. And, and that's just a fact. We wouldn't be looking for the second. We wouldn't be looking for that extra goal. So we, that, so that sort of tactical change and that sort of mentality change was really evident, especially once we scored that penalty, because Leeds really sort of came onto us a little bit, really tried and pushed for that equalizing goal. And I think we sort of coped with that pressure really, really well. Uh, and then Michael Keane, it's a long ball. I think it was, I think it was Luke Ayling just does a long ball over the top. Michael Keane gets all mixed up with his feet. And realistically, you look at it and there's a couple of angles where you see it. He could have just hoofed it away. And I don't know what the hell he's doing. He, he gets tangled up in his feet and, and, and then Patrick Benford just goes past him. Obviously, Yeremina needs to commit. He needs to close him down in, in the off chance that he shoots and then obviously slides it in for Mateus Click. And Click just dinks it over Jordan Pickford. And there's nothing Pickford can do there. There's nothing Yerry Mina could have done there because he'd done what he needed to do. That goal was purely yet another Michael Keane mistake. And he should have just hoofed the ball. 
there was a there was time for him to step up and then just whack it but he didn't i don't know if he if he didn't think he had time i don't know if it was his feet getting tangled up i don't know if he wanted to take the ball and dribble it out i like i don't know who he thinks he is but we saw it in the man city game last game of the season where he tries to do too much too much crap and he gets any mate and then a mistake happens we saw it in the southampton game where he tried to do some fancy stuff and he makes a mistake and then we concede off of it and we saw it here in the leeds game so technically that's three games in a row where a michael Keane mistake has led to us conceding uh, he's definitely a confidence player. And I think that last season, the reason he was so good for us last season was because there was no fans. There was no pressure. There was no fans screaming and berating you, telling you that there, there's someone coming to get them and you can't hear the footsteps and the crowd's really loud. He's a confidence player. And if he has no confidence, he's not going to play well. His confidence was shot against Southampton because of that mistake his confidence was shot again in this game because of that mistake so Michael Keane yet again causes us to concede a goal and that's a stupid goal to concede yet another sloppy goal for us to concede and it was because of a Michael Keane mistake we cannot keep playing Michael Keane and if we do play Michael Keane it needs to be in a game where either we're at home or we're at home in a, in a cup tie with a lower league team like to be honest, I just don't I just I just don't see where he plays for us. I don't see why you would choose him over a Ben Godfrey. Like when when Ben Godfrey returns, I don't see why you would choose Michael Keane over Ben Godfrey. And I also don't see why you choose Michael Keane instead of Mason Holgate. Because well yes, Keane is a big body. He's a tall lad, big lad, physical presence in the box. But what he also is is a ticking time bomb, a mistake waiting to happen. And we've seen it in the past two games. We saw it in the last game against City. So he needs to either step away and really sort of talk to himself about where he wants to be. Because we signed him, what, four years ago? He should be captain of this football club or at least vice captain of this football club already. He's been here that long. He should know the ins and outs of this football club he should be that center back like Jagielka or a Sylvian Disten. He should be a center back like that, but he's not because there's too many mistakes in him and he's too dependent on confidence to support his game. And you can't have that. You cannot have that in, in a center back pairing and you cannot have that in the Premier League and you certainly cannot have that at Everton Football Club. So yet again, Michael Keane, a mistake from him. And then you go into halftime at 1-1 and, and in the back of your mind, you're thinking we should be 1-0 up here. But then as well as that, you're thinking away from home against Leeds, we're drawing in at halftime. Where will the manager change things to get us in the lead here? And you saw exactly where it led. We again come out of second half running out of the blocks, firing, and Damari Gray scores his first goal for Everton, and it's a fantastic goal. You see his pace, and his power, and his desire to attack defensive lines. He he sort of misses his touch, for his first touch, he sort of mistouches it, or he misses the ball, but then he gathers it well and shoots with his left foot. We have, we have, a, we have a winger there with pace and power, and can shoot with both feet, so, and, we, and he only costs 1.5 million. Um, and Damari Gray, by the way, a fantastic game 
from Demario Gray again today. Really, really showed his potential, really showed his maturity, really showed his willingness to attack, showed his pace, showed his power, and obviously showed his wonderful knee slide that um that went horribly wrong but you cannot fault the lads for 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 his his efforts today his desire to win his desire to score and he it just got topped off with his first goal for Everton and I cannot be happier for the lad because I think he's come in he's hit the ground running he wants to impress he wants to improve he wants to be in this team and and that's all you can really ask for from from anyone and that's all you can really ask for from a new signing as well. The willingness and the desire to play for Everton Football Club. So really, really happy with his performance and really happy that he scored his first goal as well. And you're up 2-1 and you're thinking, holy crap, 2-1, can we do this? But then, out of fucking nowhere, Rafinha. Raf- oh man, like the guy had literally terrorized us all game. His pace, how direct he was, his left foot... He, it was just, it was just bound to happen because he was edging and edging, edging closer to that goal. And then eventually it just went in and it was a fantastic shot. You cannot take anything away from that, from that strike and that goal. You can say that we could have done better. And honestly, we could have because for him to be able to bring the ball down and curl it in the way that he did shouldn't have happened. We should have had someone on him, putting pressure on him. So maybe he would have gotten the shot away, but he wouldn't have that much time to bring it down and then curl it the way he did. It shouldn't have happened like that. And as well as that, we should have cleared our lines. Again, Michael Keane in the middle of this big whatever, trying to get the ball out of the out of the box, I think it was Luca Dean was in there, Michael Keane, and maybe Allen. There were like three Everton players, and apparently all three of them lost out. And then it gets to Rafinha, and you have no one pressuring Rafinha, and then he scores that goal. So yet another, I would, it wasn't as much of a defensive error as the Michael Keane first goal, but yet another defensive error, not only on Michael Keane, but our defense as a whole, to not get that ball out of the box where when we should have. But again, not, not taking anything away from that Rafinha. Um... That they're a finish finish, and you sort of looking at it. We're two two away from home, and then as well as that, before that, when we were two one away from home, and we're looking for the third goal, we are constantly looking for that third goal. We are not bringing on a, a Mason Holgate to make it a three at the back, and then sure it up, and then make sure we see at this point. We wanted three points. Leeds wanted three points. We wanted the three points, and again, that's nothing. I couldn't say that against Carlo Ancelotti when we were under Carlo. Say we were that two, say we were up 2-1 when Demario Gray finished it in the, like the 47th minute or something like that. We would have defended from minute 47 to minute 90. And then when Leeds can, and then when Leeds scored that goal in the 68th, I want to say, when Rafinha scored that goal, we would have defended from 68 to 90. Instead, we went on in the attack. And I would say, to be honest, we had control of that game. In the latter periods of that game, we had control of it because the substitutions helped us. I think that for a large majority of the game physically, we kept up with leads. And I think that's really testament to the fitness of this squad right now um, and where they're at uh, physically. Uh, so that was really, really good to see. Uh, a real challenge against a really fit leads unit that run around the pitch like madmen for 90 minutes. And they're just, they're just built that way. That's just how they've been trained. Um, so for us to keep up with them was really, really good. But you could see players like Richarlison tiring, Damari Gray tiring. And I think substitutions wise and, and it will be tiring as well. Um, Andros Townsend came on, uh, Fabian Delph came on, Moise Keane came on. And, and I think with, those sort of substitutions it really sort of energized the squad a little bit brought us a little bit of dynamism on the wing with Andros Townsend brought us 
Fabian Delph, which didn't do too badly. I, I just don't think he did anything wrong, but it's Fabian Delph. And he, and he gave me a heart attack when he slid in in the side of the box, but we'll get to that in a second. And then you had Moise Keane as well. So some fresh legs, and I really think for the lighter periods of that game, we controlled the game. And if anyone was going to win that game in the last moments, it was going to be us. Because you had the Michael Keane header that Melia saved, which honestly, I thought it was going in. And he had a couple chances here and there, and it just didn't go in for us. So all in all, 2-2, I think was a fair result. Um, I think 2-2 as a whole was a result that I think both teams can sort of walk away from and think, yes, that was a fair result. I think fans can think that was a fair result as well. But to be honest, we should have won that game. When Awobi slid in Dominic Cavalluan for that 1v1, he should have chipped the keeper. And as well as that, the, the chance before that, he should have slotted that home as well. Dom had two chances after the 2-1 two, two in, I think, a span of five or ten minutes where he should have finished it. And say, for example, if we had a striker like Romelu Lukaku, he would have finished those chances. And I'm not, I'm not comparing Dom and Rom. They are completely different players, and I understand that. I'm just saying Dom is a fantastic striker. He's a fantastic number nine, an old school, old fashioned number nine striker. Someone who is very good at heading the ball, someone who's very good at the hold up play, but where he needs to improve is he's finishing within the six yard box. He needs to improve when he's in those 1v1 scenarios is finishing. Can he chip the keeper? Can he slide it through the legs of the keeper? Because both changes, he just... The, the one where Awobi slid him in, he did really, really well to shimmy away from the defender and slide that ball into Dom. He just shot it straight at Melia's uh, chest. And it was so easy for Melia to just hold the ball on his chest. He should have chipped the keeper there. If he chips the keeper there, it's it's 3-1 and Leeds have a mountain to climb there at 3-1. So, should have won the game. Really, really should have won the game. Um, a couple of players I do want to shout out as well. Um, Allen was really, 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 really good today. I think this game was one of his best games in an Everton shirt in a long time. He was busy. He was up and down the pitch, pure box to box, ball carrying out from the their their half of the pitch, ball carrying out of midfield, really trying to push players on, winning tackles, getting physical. That is what we want to see from Allen. So I really, really, really enjoyed his performance today. And I want to also uh, shout out Richie as well. He, A lot of people are sort of getting on Richie's back and saying he's too selfish. He's too this, he's too that. But he worked so hard today. And you got to think about the lad. He hasn't stopped playing football for two years. And he's coming up against the lead side, packed house, away from home. And he's putting in a shift. It may not look like he's doing too much or he's, or he's not setting up goals or scoring goals, but he's working. Up and down the pitch, he's battled with Calvin Phillips in the middle of the pitch. He's battling with someone like that. And I think his efforts sort of went under the radar a little bit. And I'll and to sort of finish off my little player shout-outs here, Yeri Mina. The Yeri Mina versus Patrick Bamford little battle that they had there was a sight to see. You can definitely see from minute one, Yeri Mina was trying to get under his skin. And it worked. It really, really did work. Yeri was getting under his skin. That He was getting physical with him. He was trying to like get cheap fouls to piss him off um and that little bear hug thing he did on the touchline was really interesting i thought like he was gonna tackle him or swing at him like that would have been nuts but he was just getting under his skin and i think that was a really really key battle in this game and especially in that last minute i think that uh, if i remember correctly they had a chance it was probably with like the final kick of the game or something 
Ball comes in. It's going straight to Patrick Bamford. All he has to do was bring it down and shoot and score. But Yeri Min is a ball magnet. And all he did, he sniffed out the danger. He headed it away. And it was just so, so key for him to be switched on for the whole 90 minutes and be like, Patrick Bamford, you are not getting a sniff this game. So it was really, really nice to see that little battle there and to see Yeri, Yeri sort of try to stir the pot a little bit against Bamford, uh, which is what I really like to see. But as I said, man, all in all, 2-2 was a fair result. We, we go away from Ellen Road with a point. Um, and, and, and as I said, man, a game we should have won. Um, but I really, really did enjoy the performance. I like the attacking style of play that we are playing with this season, this sort of attacking mentality, this mentality that... We are not going to settle for 2-1. We want that second. We want that third. We want the fourth. Like, we want to consistently be putting teams to the sword, um, which over time we will do. Um, but the sort of foundational blocks we have right now, they're looking pretty good. That's it for the match preview. Uh, let's get into some Everton news. I'm just going to drink some water because my throat is really dry. Oh, that is some good ass shit. All right, let's get into some Everton news. Uh, a lot of news in terms of transfers. Obviously, the transfer uh, window will wind down in about a week's time from now. Um, and the rumors are really starting to heat up. The biggest rumor from the week was Joaquin Carrera. Uh, he's a sort of striker, a winger, second striker that plays for Lazio in the Serie A. Everton have been linked with a move, a 35 million euro move for the Lazio playmaker. Um, and he is seemingly wanting to join Inter Milan. So yet again, if we believe the rumors, Everton are losing out to Inter for a player. We've obviously already lost Denzel Dumfries to them and it looks like we're losing Joaquin Carrera to him uh, to, to Inter as well. Um, it, it's an interesting rumor. The Carrera one's uh, interesting because it's 35 million and uh, to my belief, we don't have 35 million to spend. Um, I think the deal was really going to be structured around installments. So maybe that way the deal would eventually lead to a $35 million fee, uh, well, euro fee, um, which eventually would sort of just be broken up into installments. And that way we would have been able to afford it. I like Carrera. I think he is a good replacement for a Hamas Rodriguez. I think he can play in behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin. It seems that we're playing a 4-2-3-1. And I think that if we have, say, for example, Damari Gray off the right, Richarlison off the left, and then Carrera through the middle in behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think that would be a really, really interesting um, starting 11 and attacking front that could really, really pose some problems with pace and power. Um, I think this is something that I would have liked to have seen done. Um, I can't lie. I don't know a whole lot about Carrera. I do know enough to know that he is a really, really standout player. And if Inter are getting him, it seems like he wants to stay in Italy, which is fair enough. Like, I, I don't know if anyone can really get angry at Everton for this. If the deal has been sort of attempted and they've tried to go for him and it's sort of down to him choosing Inter over Everton. I don't think anyone can get mad at that. Same thing with the Dumfries deal because you got to think about it. Everton finished 10th last season. We don't have Europe. Inter have Champions League. They've also won the league last season. So the prospect of joining Inter versus the prospect of joining Everton are completely different things. He obviously likes living in Italy. He wants to stay in Italy. So that's fair enough. Um, and it seems like we've missed out on Joaquin Carrera. There's a couple rumors here and there saying if Inter can't get the deal done in terms of a transfer fee, then he'll move to Everton. 
um, because apparently Everton have already sort of agreed a deal in principle for him. Um, but I feel like that one is going to go sort of down to deadline day. The latest news is that we've apparently bid $5 million for Rangers right back Nathan Patterson. Uh, which is he's a 19 year old right back from Rangers. I've literally not even heard of him until today. Uh, they apparently want 10 mil for him, and he's uh, looked at to be the long term successor for Seamus Coleman. If I'm honest with you, Seamus Coleman should have had a long term successor a couple of years ago, like we did when we bought Luca Dean to replace uh, Leighton Baines. We should have had a Coleman replacement a long, long time ago. It hasn't happened, and if this guy's the long term replacement for Coleman, he should have probably been here last year. Um, but five mil for a Rangers right back that I've never heard about. Look, if the scouting team has identified him as the one that they want, then fair enough. Like, I can't say that when I heard of Andros Townsend and Demari Gray, I was, uh, too happy about it. Or when I heard Demari Gray for 1.5 million, I can't say that I was super excited about it. But look where that turned out. Andros and Demari have been really, really good for us so far. So if this kid comes in for five million, or 10 million or whatever they agree with here. And he does really, really well for us. He can sit on the bench. He can sort of learn from Seamus and uh, rotate with him throughout the season. And then next season, he starts every single game for us because he's sort of up to date on the system, the club, and how we he should play right back. I think it could be end up being a really, really good move for us. So if the club want to go for Nathan Patterson, why not do it? Um, this is sort of contradicting the opinion that we have already agreed a deal in principle for Aurelio Buta. I see Buta being more of a shorter term option than Nathan Patterson, and maybe the club want to go down a sort of longer term route in terms of a right back, because Buta would interchange with Coleman week in, week out sort of thing. Um, and then maybe Buta would have started every single game next season. Um, but Buta looked more as a squad option rather than a direct replacement. And it looks like Nathan Patterson would be a more direct replacement for Coleman more long term. So we're going to have to sort of wait and see how this deal goes. Uh, Porto and Newcastle. <laughs> Newcastle are interested in taking back hum in taking Hummers Rodriguez. Obviously, Porto would be taking back Hummers, and Newcastle would be straight up buying him. I don't see the Newcastle thing. First off, because it's Newcastle, and second off, because they just signed Joe Willock. Would they be looking at Hummers to play off of the right? That would be interesting as well. But as also they have. Almiron that plays off the right and they also have Alan St. Maximin, Ryan Fraser. So I don't see Hammers moving to Newcastle. I see the Porto link being the one that's more credible. I mean, Hammers looks like he's going anyway. Um, he said on Twitter that a uh, Twitch, sorry, that it doesn't even know who Everton are playing on the weekend. Um, it seems like he wants to go, whether that be the manager telling him to go, whether that be his agent telling the club he's going to go. We know that he came to Everton for, for Carlo Ancelotti. And now that Ancelotti's gone, James doesn't want to be here anymore. His agent has been shopping him around since the start of the window. Um, and we know that he was going to leave ever since the start of this window. So, and ever since Carlo left, we knew that James was probably going to go with him. So, if we can get a fee for him and then we can get his 200k a week wages off of the wage bill, we can look to bring more players in. Uh, maybe James leaving triggers the deal for Carrera. James leaves, Carrera comes in. I think that's a suitable um, swap there in terms of that sort of playmaking role. 
and that sort of second striker type of role. So I think that more Porto rather than Newcastle. Uh, Sean, uh, Sean Longstaff, the Newcastle, speaking of Newcastle, the Newcastle center mid has been urged to sign for Everton. I mean, again, another, another player that is busy. Another player that looked really, really good under Rafa Benitez when he was at Newcastle. So that link there sort of makes sense purely because of the relationship the two have previously. Uh, I don't know for me. I mean, it, for me, he comes in into a very bloated midfield. You look at it and you sort of have, you think about it, if we sign him, you have Longstaff, you have Alan, Decore, Tom Davis, uh, Jean-Philippe Gambamin as well. So that's sort of five midfielders that are fighting on oh, Fabian Delph if he stays. So that's six midfielders there so that are sort of fighting for spots. If we sell Fabian Delph, bring in Longstaff, maybe, and that's that's a lot of competition for two spots that I think Decore and Allen have sort of cemented their places within. I see Gabamon and Davies being the backups for them, and then Wilshon Longstaff want to be sort of fifth choice. I'm not too sure, and it also depends on the fee for him as well. If the fee, if I'm honest with you, if we pay anything more than 10 million for him, I think that's an overpay. I just don't see it. I just don't see why he would come here. Why would we be looking for another midfielder of his mold? And but then as well as that, we're linked to Mateus Nunes as well. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know why we're buying all these midfielders when we need a right back and a right winger. So Sean Longstaff wants to join join Everton, it seems, but I don't see why he would. Uh, we've been linked with a centre back as well, Malang Sar. From Chelsea, a left-footed centre-half. He's still really young. I like this one. I think bringing in a centre-half that'll be that's a left-footed centre-half will be really beneficial for us. But the only time I see this deal going through is if we sell Michael Keane or Mason Holgate. If one of them two leave within this transfer window, then I can see Sar coming in, whether that be a loan with an option to buy or whatever that may be. Um, but I do like the prospect of signing Malang Sar. Obviously, he had a really, really good time at Nice before he moved to Chelsea. Um, hasn't really played a lot of games for Chelsea, but I do see that deal being something where we can do like a loan with an option to buy. And I think having a left-footed centre-half in our defence will definitely create a nice little balance there. So I do like the link. Uh, whether or not anything comes of it, we'll sort of have to wait and see. Everything really quiet on the uh, Anguissa front. Uh, the last sort of news we got was an, a loan with an option to buy, which I'm very keen on if that will happen there. I think he started off with the bench for Fulham, so it looks like he's going to be leaving this transfer window. Where he goes, it's a wait and see, but I hope he comes to us because I think Anguissa would be a fantastic player in this midfield. It will allow us to play three in midfield, more of a uh, Anguissa, Decore and Allen and then say for example if Hamas leaves you won't really need to play that 10 role anymore um, you'd have Allen sitting and then Nguisa and Decore sort of more pushing forward then you'd have your front three of Richarlison Gray Dom or Richarlison Dom Townsend or if Dwight McNeil comes in, you'll have Richarlison, McNeil, Dom, like however however you want to configure it. Um, McNeil is another one that's sort of gone quiet. I think Burnley want a bit too much money for him and we're sort of holding out and waiting until the last days of the window to get that deal done. So that one's going to be another one where you sort of wait till transfer deadline day. And with a lot of these transfers, I think all of them are going to be done within the final week. And I think once once teams start selling and once teams start buying those 8 million pound players or those 10 million pound squad players or whatever that may be, once we move on the likes of Fabian Delph, 
um, or Hammers Rodriguez or Mo- even Moise Keane if we get sold this window then we can start doing deals and it only until those players get sold we sort of have to wait and see and just speculate on links and rumors here and there so that is all the Everton news for this week we'll get into the match preview now Everton versus Brighton it is another away day another tough away day at the Amex Stadium against Brighton I'm gonna drink some water yet again bit of ASMR for you guys um, another tough away day, man. Look, Brighton are one of the more proficient outfits in the Premier League. I know they finished, what, like 15th, but the way that they play, the way that Graham Potter has them play, they just need to score goals, and they're doing that. And um, it's 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 going to be an interesting game. They are undefeated in the Prem, but to be fair, they did versus Burnley and Watford, so they, we can't really... Can't really uh, speculate too much on how good or bad they're going because it is just the start of the season. They've won their two games, so the six points, undefeated, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think the biggest takeaway from the first two games of the season from Brighton is that Neil Malpe is scoring goals. And that was a problem last year. They didn't; Their striker wasn't scoring goals. He's doing that now. So I think that with that midfield that they have, uh, McAllister's a really tidy player. Obviously, Basuma's a fantastic player in that midfield. And I think that it's going to be another tough midfield battle here for, for Decore and Allen. They're going to be facing Basuma. Uh, Enoch Mwepu as well their new signing from Salzburg is a really tidy midfielder as well and obviously McAllister too so it's going to be a really really tough midfield battle and whoever wins that midfield battle means that they will win the game I really think that this game will be won or lost in midfield and if Allen plays the way that he did against Leeds and if Decorey plays the the way he did against Leeds and Southampton then I think we'll come away with the win. I'm, I am confident for this game. I am confident for this game because it's, I get it. Brighton away from home, Amex Stadium. They've already had their welcome back to, um, to, the, to the Amex. They've already had that home game. The sort of, I don't want to say the passion, but the sort of hype of being back in the grounds after 18 months is sort of going to die a little bit. So then we can then take advantage of that. They play very open football. And we saw last year, we beat them 4-2. We definitely have goals in us, but they definitely have goals in them as well. They're a very, very good attacking outlet. A very good attacking outlet that just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net last year. It seems like they're doing that this year. They scored two goals in each of their two opening games. So, and they did it against Burnley. And Burnley are well known to be a very solid defensive team. Um, so, it's going to be a tough fixture for us, definitely. It's going to be a game that we need to sort of... I wouldn't say go defensive. I would say play more of the game we played against Leeds, where it's... Uh, and and last season as well, in a lot of our away games, where it's more counter-attacking football. But this season is different because it's counter-attacking at pace. Whereas last season, it was sort of counter-attacking, but it wasn't at pace. This season, will be counter-attacking at pace because you have the likes of Demar Gray pushing the players up the field faster. You have players like the Corey who have a license to get forward. You have players, obviously, like uh, Richarlison, Dominic Cavalloon, um, whoever starts off the right, whether that be Townsend or Awobi, I think that we'll have a really, really good chance at this game, definitely. Um, one thing I definitely want to touch on here in terms of the Brighton game is that Michael Keane needs to be nowhere near the starting 11. After the mistake against Southampton, after the mistake against Leeds, Michael Keane cannot start in this game. 
whether you have Mina and Holgate, whether Godfrey's good to return back and you have Mina and Godfrey, it needs to be Yeri Mina and someone other than Michael Keane moving forward. It cannot be Yeri Mina and Michael Keane. It cannot be that again, because not only is Michael Keane down on confidence, and as I said at the start of the podcast, he is a confidence player. Michael Keane is a ticking time bomb, and it's only a matter of time until he does something stupid, and he, and he gives the ball away, or, or he miskicks, or he does something dumb, and we concede, especially against Brighton. Especially if he's getting harried, harried by players like Neil Mopai or, or Alexis McAllister or Basuma. He, he can't. He can't. He can't do it. We cannot have Michael Keane in this starting 11 again today. We just can't. And I'm praying to, to all that is holy that Ben Godfrey is back. Because Ben Godfrey and Yeri Mina are our best two center backs. And they're our best pair of center backs. They're, they're the best pair of center backs that we've got at the club right now. They need to be playing week in, week out, building that familiarity with themselves. And Michael Keane just can't be a part of that because he's a ticking time bomb and I cannot have him in our defense again. Um, but yeah, I, I just I, I just can't. Just that game against Leeds just sort of solidified in my mind that Michael Keane cannot play football. He cannot play football for this football club. The amount of pressure that he's under, the, amount of, the, the, conf- the fact that he's a confidence player, he cannot play for this football club. So it needs to be Yeri Mina and someone else. If Michael Keane is on that team sheet, I'm going to be worried. Every time I see Michael Keane on that team sheet, I'm going to be worried. I cannot have him starting this game. I cannot have him being being in this game. Think about what what would happen if he was if if Michael Keane was in a backline against Liverpool or City or Chelsea. He would get destroyed. He would get absolutely destroyed. And Brighton are no exception because Brighton are a very good attacking outlet. They're a good attacking team. So you cannot have a defensive liability against a good attacking team. I don't know what Kino is doing in, in training. Maybe he trains like a beast. But whenever he's on that football pitch and there's 22 players there, thousands of fans, tens of thousands of fans in the stand, he cannot do it. So we cannot start this game for us. And I trust Rafa. I want to. I want to. I want to say this. I want to say this. I trust Rafa to do what needs to be done to win this game, or at least get a result in this game. I I back Rafa Benitez to do what needs to be done, whether that be personnel wise, whether that be tactically. I'm looking forward to watching this game because the way we're playing is a very nice attacking brand of football. Whether that be on the front foot, whether that be sitting back and counter-attacking, this is a nice counter-attacking and or attacking football team, something that we didn't see under Carlo Ancelotti. And, I, and I'm sounding like a big Rafa Benitez fanboy right now. I loved Carlo. I loved that he was at this football club. I loved that he seemed to love the city. I loved that he wanted to be here and build a project and he said all the right things, but he's a mercenary and he left Real Madrid and that left a really, really bad taste in my mouth. Rafa's come in. He's a man of the city of Liverpool. He loves the city of Liverpool. And yes, he was Liverpool manager, but that was so long ago that it just really doesn't matter anymore. And he's come in and he's gotten these players fit. We saw that against Leeds. And he's got these players within a mentality to attack the game and to just put teams to the sword. We've seen that happen. We've seen after half time, if things aren't going our way, he'll change it. And get results as a result of changing it. So I trust Rafa Benitez 
to get a result in this game. Obviously, more players will come back as well. James Rodriguez potentially fit, like finishing his quarantine and coming out and maybe getting involved in this game. Uh, obviously, Moise Keane will have another week back in training. Jean-Philippe Gababin as well. Hopefully, Ben Godfrey will be back too. So that'll bolster our squad a little bit there and, and hopefully give us more options as well. Obviously, with the Huddersfield Town game midweek, it's going to be interesting to see how things change here and there with the starting 11 obviously to deal with fatigue but i do have high hopes for this brighton game i do think we're gonna win the game i'm gonna say everton 2 brighton nil clean sheet nice 2-0 win away from home um and that's uh three games on the trot unbeaten and i think that's a really really good start to the season um but yeah i'm definitely confident that we're gonna win this game but that is gonna wrap up the aussie toffee podcast for this week hope you guys did enjoy it whether you're watching on youtube spotify google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, whatever you're listening to this podcast on thank you guys so much for doing so uh next week we're gonna have the match reviews for both the huddersfield game and the brighton game and as well as that the match preview for the week uh for the game coming up after that i can't remember what that game is but we'll have a match preview as well um and next week as well as that i want to start a new segment called your take not mine where i take your hot takes on everton or your opinions on everton from the weekend and the game's gone by um from twitter i'm gonna collate them and i'm gonna read them out and i'm gonna discuss them so i think that's a really really interesting idea to throw about so if you're not following me on twitter already make sure you go ahead and do so at the aussie toffee on twitter get involved with all the interactions on there. But yeah, thank you guys for listening and watching another podcast. I'll see you guys next week.